Hi, I'm Mark Shearer, formerly of ABC News, Good Morning America, and CNN's Showbiz Today. You're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast. I'm your host, Robert Miller, and uh, we've got a terrific guest lined up today who was on The Sopranos for a number of years, and I'm playing underneath this introduction my featured song of the day called You Can't Tell the Truth from my album Summer of Love 2020. And I figured that's an appropriate song for this episode because, you know, if you're in The Sopranos, if you're a made man, there are times you cannot tell the truth. And if you'd like a free download of this song, all you need to do is go to followyourdreampodcast.com slash roadmap hyphen song. I'm really pleased to tell you that my band, Project Grand Slam, will be performing for the first time post-COVID on June 27th at 6 p.m. at Music Fest, a terrific festival in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So it's Sunday, June 27th at 6 p.m. If you're in the area, please come out and see us. And if you do, come up to the stage and let me know that you're there. And I've got a special gift for you. So my guest today is Robert Funaro, Staten Island's own Robert Funaro. He has been a celebrated actor. As I said, he was in The Sopranos. I looked this up, 26 episodes. I mean, that's not a, sh a, a shot in the pan. That's, that's 26 episodes. He played Eugene Pontecorvo, and we'll go into that. He was also on Ray Donovan, Law & Order. One of my personal favorites, Vinyl. He's been in the movie American Gangster. He's been in The Irishman. I'm sure he's been in more than that. He is quite an actor. So, Robert, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Robert, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Absolutely. So let's start. You know, I, I like to talk about people's formative years to begin with and whether or not you had a dream at that time to become the actor that you have become. Was that your dream early on? Early on, it was, but then I did a play, Streetcar Named Desire, and James Gandolfini was in that. We toured Scandinavia. At that time, that was my dream. And uh, when we got back, everybody went their own way, and James went to Hollywood. And, but I met a, a beautiful Norwegian woman over there. I've always been a sucker, a fool for love, <laughs> or a slave to love, you might say. <laughs> that Willie Niles song, anyway. So we remained friends, I mean, on and off. And my, I married this woman, and I decided to... Uh, you know, try to get a real, you know, job. Were you living in Scandinavia at the time? I, I you know I tried living there, Rob, but it didn't work out. So I came back to America. We had the baby. We had a baby, my son Tomas, and um, so I was, you know, trying to survive. And I decided, well, the acting's really not really working out. So 
I had a job working in Madison Square Garden. Then it didn't work out. I, I worked there for about a year and a half, two years, two, three years. And then I left and a friend of mine got me a job at Caroline's Comedy Club as a doorman. So um, I started as a doorman there, ended up as a manager. And one thing led to another. The, the person, my friend Gordy Silver, he uh, he was at a party with James. He was at a party. James had just done the first season of Sopranos. And he had the gumption or the... We, as we say in the neighborhood, the Cleones to go up to him and say, uh, hey, if I was you, I'd get your friend Bobby Finara a job on your successful TV show. He said, oh, you know, friend Bobby, oh, but what's Bobby doing? And then James, he asked uh, Gordon, you know, where I, what I was doing. And he told him I was managing and a role came up in season three. And, and that's how I got my big break. But going back to your the original question, I really didn't. My life really wasn't going that direction, although I don't know if I dabbled in trying to get some auditions with the the entertainment uh, agents that came in and out of Caroline's. It was always on the back burner, but um, it opened up. James was a wonderful man and he sent the elevator down and here I am. Isn't that something? Yeah. So for anybody that doesn't know, Caroline's is a, a really big comedy club in New York. Is it still open, you know, given the, the COVID situation and all of that? Well, they closed down and I found out from one of their executives there, uh, Greg Charles, that they're going to be opening May 30th. So I think 90 percent. Um, they didn't really open initially because they really need to Broadway and they need to fill the house. So now they're, they're going to do it. So I'm really happy about that. Caroline's will be back in action. That's nice. There's so many clubs and, and other places in New York City and all the big cities that just could not survive during COVID. They all closed. Dangerfield's you know, closed. We, we, right. We keep our fingers crossed that they're all going to open up again, or at least most of them. So it's nice to hear that this one is opening up. Okay. So you got your break because you knew James Gandolfini. Yeah, we were friends. Who was obviously the star of The Sopranos. Now, you said you were in a, a show with him? Yeah, I, I did a, a, a streetcar named Desire, and he played Mitch, and I played Stanley. He later on went on Broadway. So you and, were the star? Yes. And he was the he was the lower-down guy. Well, you know, it's really important. It's not really in, in a Tennessee. Those kind of plays like Tennessee Williams wrote, they're, they're such the, it's such an ensemble. All the players are really... Yes, I mean, it's... I think that... Blanche is really the star, but, you know, I think Marlon Brando stole the show, I suppose. That's so right. It's in people's minds, and they kind of stereotypically think that that's the lead role. But in a way, I guess the person, the sensitive person, the person, the artist, was embodied in Blanche through Tennessee Williams. Well, I, I wasn't saying it for any particular reason other than the fact that, you know, you were on, you got the top <laughs> billing. That's what counts. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. All right. So he forgave you for that, obviously, because he invited you onto the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was wonderful. He, I came down to Caroline's, you know, I was managing, and uh, as I said, and uh, he was at the bar having a drink, and we just picked up where we left off. And he said, "I came down for a reason to ask you to audition. I can't promise you anything." George Ann Walken, Chris Walken's wife, is right next door to the to the casting office. Was right next door, so. He said, she's going to get in touch with you. I'll give you the information. As I said, I can't promise you. I tried doing this before. And the rest, I went and auditioned. I mean, actually, I spent the whole night, not that night, but another night. I had the keys, so I was able to really study and, and without any distractions. And I landed the role. So 
So Christopher Walken's wife was the casting director on this uh, series. Yeah, George Ann Walken. She uh, they later on went uh, uh, to California. That casting office, Walken Jaffe, I believe it is Sheila Jaffe. Yeah, Sheila. All right. And, uh, so you went down, you actually did an audition, huh? Yeah, that's nah, right, right across the street, yeah. And what do they do? They have you read a script or something like that? Yeah, yeah, they, you, were given a, you were given the sides, they call them sides, and you know, you had, you had some time to prepare, and I prepared it, and uh, then I got called to uh, Silver Cup Studios, where all the actors, once you pass the first barrage, of the, audit, the first round, then you would have to meet the, before they make a decision, David had a way of bringing everybody into the um, everybody into the room, the casting room. So it was really very intimidating, <laughs> you know, the, 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 from the director of photography to to direct to a director of the episode that he was doing it, and and the costume people. So boy, that was that was uh, you know I knew a lot less, so uh, less was knowing more. I guess right now it'd be even more intimidating to walk into something like that, you know. You're thrown right into the deep end of the pool, yeah. huh? And then you know, and then then they like me, and I got the job. By the way, the Silver Cup Studios. You know, for anybody that's not from New York City, when you go over the 59th Street Bridge, you see this big sign for the Silver Cup Studios, which used to be a bread factory. It was the Silver Cup Bread Factory, right? And you know, like so many different places in New York City, they kind of repurposed the whole thing. And and as you said, it's become one of the major places where they shoot television series in New York City, right? Yes, they had built a replicants of uh, the Jersey at the studio. You know, the Jer- New Jersey locations. We sometimes would go to the Jersey to the locations, but Tony Soprano's home was just. What an amazing job they did replicating it when you went on the studio set. You say, wow, this is just, this is the place. So yeah, it was really amazing what they can do in, in a studio setting. Okay. So did you know that you were auditioning to become Eugene Pontecorvo in the show? No. I originally landed the role of Ralph Seferetto, the Joe Pantaleone role. And um, we started shooting. And then I think David was really happy with the cross between me and, and, and James and Tony Soprano. They started graying out my hair to try to make me a little bit different looking. We're two big guys and they would use gray for my hair and stuff. And, and uh, it just wasn't, the chemistry wasn't there to be a really um, his nemesis. So they said, uh, David said, it's not really working out, but do you want to stay on the show? <laughs> he came up to me. He said, what are you going to do? No, I didn't say it like that. He said, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I'm hoping to continue here some kind of way. And they created the role of Eugene. And I asked Terry Winter, well, who was Eugene? He said, don't worry. We're going to we'll make it up as we go along. and We're going to figure it out. They're going to figure you out because television is very, uh, well, films are too. Uh, they, the writers uh, have a better chance to get to know who you are, uh, and um, and they kind of kind of built a story around me, and and uh, it was really wonderful to do members only. I, I mean, that was the first really sh- good shot I had to really show what I can do, and I really enjoyed that episode. It was nerve wracking to do it, but it was really came out really nice. So the writers are kind of creating your character 
in, in real time as you go along, right? Yeah, they get to know you. You get to sit down with them at lunch. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the scenes that were created, we would just be messing around with the basketball, playing basketball outside of Silver Cup, and they would take ideas from us. We went to the Belmont. Uh, we went to we went to Belmont Racetrack for the Breeders' Cup. And I remember the scene with Furio when he says, I won, I won, I won. That scene, they took, they took from that, that, that race meet because I remember Fur uh, uh, Frederico coming up to me and waving the ticket. I won, I won. I said, let me see how much you won. And he paid $2 on, a, I think, a five to one shot. He won $12. He thought he won a, he won a lot of money. I said, you won $2. You, I mean, you won $12. You paid $2 on a five to one shot. So it was really funny. They took from that. So they would take things from our personal lives, you know, and um, that's, that's what they would do. It was really as they went along sometimes. Of course, David always steered it. He always steered the the the, the rudder to the, the compass. You know which direction they were going in. Now David is David Chase, right? Yeah, David Chase. You know sometimes the, the writers would get ideas from the actors. I believe the idea of uh, of Vito's idea was, uh, I believe Joey, who's um, whom I know, uh, Joe had suggested that to them. He wrote, he read about it in Murder Incorporated. Um, Describe what you're talking about. What ideas is this? I'm talking about uh, Joe was played a captain of Vito Spaffatori on The Sopranos. And he turns out that he's gay. (laughs) You know, you see him in the gay clubs and everything like that. And there was a wise guy. I don't know his name. It was in the book Murder Incorporated, who was actually gay. And when they found out, they they murdered him. Uh, And uh, he had suggested that that arc for his character. And I think Robin and Mitch. They listened, Mitch Burgess, who created Blue Bloods, by the way, and who are great writers on Sopranos. They um, they they made up that storyline. Whether you like it, whether you don't, I'm just telling you that it would happen. Well, when he suggested the storyline, did he also be, was he also suggesting that he gets knocked off at the end? Uh, I don't think so, <laughs> but uh, you know, it was just it was just where the answered prayer, right? <laughs> it was inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now tell everybody who Eugene Pontecorvo was in the series. What was your, your story? Well, it did turn out that I worked for, I worked for Ralph Seferetto. I was one of his soldiers. I was a made guy. I was made with Michael Imperiali. And that's uh, Christopher on yeah, the show. That's Christopher on the show. We uh, took the, uh, the oath. May I burn in hell if I betray my friends. <laughs> so, uh, so and Eugene had a hot tapper. I mean, he was a we call it in the neighborhood. He was a snap out. You might say something to him. There's a big snapple scene that people might remember with uh, Will, uh, the character who was in love with uh, Meadow. He's at a construction site, and uh, Paulie Jr., played by Carl Capitato, uh, says something to me in terms of uh, "You ought to know, sweetie." You know, referring that I might be a little bit effeminate or whatever, and I take a, sm- a Snapple bottle and smash him in the head with it. I'll hold this. And up till then I was known for the Snapple bottle, but then members only kind of legitimized me <laughs> as an actor that I could do just a little bit more than smash. Hey, you got it. Smash that guy over the head. I, I like that. It was really great. It was great. You know, it's like <laughs> all the training, Sanford Meisner, it all comes down to a fucking Snapple bottle, Rob. <laughs> so that was Eugene. And he was one of Ralph's crew and he just had fun. We used to have fun with Ralph and Vito and 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 John Fiore, who played Gigi Gaston, who died on the toilet bowl. I we I found him on the toilet bowl and 
and uh, that's how we passed. It's <laughs> you know some great surprises in Sopranos. You know that was a good one too. Somehow or other, Hesh was involved with you as well on the show. Am I right? Hesh, no, no, no I wasn't really directly in direct contact with with Hesh. I might have worked with uh, uh, with Hesh, but there really wasn't a direct. Uh, I always liked his character because it was kind of a different character from all the other guys. First of all, he wasn't. Uh, you know, he wasn't Italian American. And uh, one of the things I liked about him, he, apparently he was in the show. He was in the record business in his past. Yes. And he used to brag about the fact that he had all these gold records uh, from being in the record business. And I remember at one point in one episode, Tony blows up at him and says, what the hell are you talking about? You know that you ripped off the five black guys that wrote the song and you took credit for the songs. And of course, that upset him because he fancied himself as this great, you know, music man. But that was another one of those characters in this show that just galvanized your attention. I agree. I, he can definitely be compared to the uh, vinyl and uh, what they were trying to say, like men like Morris Levy, who I think handled uh, Tommy James. Uh, if you read Tommy James' book. Right. That's an amazing story. And it was even more amazing how he was able to, when Levy or Morris was sick or something, he was able to find out the true amount of money or residual that he was, he was owed. And I mean, I don't really want to tell you viewers because they can read the book, but uh, that was, I'm going to say that by the, he went to the printing labels, the label company who printed the labels for his records. And they were able to get an accurate figure of how many, records were produced and, and and basically sold so that was just amazing but yeah hesh was a and it's very true it, it doesn't i mean it, he's the Mylansky of the show he's the hyman rothstein of the show and and it was a wonderful uh uh touch by david uh, to use him and and to also connect him with the mu music business because let's face it i mean i know people rob like guys like al martino who had to go to england because of that same very reason he produce some album after he had your hair in my heart one of the hit songs his hit songs he had to go he was under the contract with some of these wise guys in atlantic city and he got beat up and he had to leave and then he had came back to, he came back to philadelphia because he's from there and he had to ask angelo bruno for he kind of asked angelo bruno if he can have permission to sing again and, and bruno said you got to prove it to me and it's a long story but he did actually prove it to him and he was allowed to sing again in the clubs Atlantic City and stuff like that. And then he built his career again. Now, tell me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Al Martino's story kind of the backstory in The Godfather for the guy who was the singer in The Godfather? You know, I remember the guy that sang at the wedding of uh, the daughter there? But I'm pretty sure it was Al Martino that was kind of the subset for the whole thing. Well, the thing was, you know, and Sinatra was against that. It was one thing, I, I think that Puzo used the example of From Here to Eternity. The film that Sinatra did, and he, who, by the way, won an Academy Award for that role. Uh, what was his name? Lazio or something like right. that. I forgot his name. I think that was very close to Sinatra's. Uh, um, and that's why Sinatra, I, I, I think Sinatra, I don't know if they didn't ask him or whatever, what the story is beyond that. I think Sinatra was against The Godfather being filmed. He had gone out to try to stop it from being filmed. Bob Evans was, uh, of course, the producer, one of the main producer of that. But it's funny how Al got that role. I don't think it was directly connected to Al, but of course it did 
show the trajectory of, of his life in, 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 a, in a sense, him even getting that role. It was a, one of the producers on The Godfather. He needed some money. He would, and he went to Al. He knew Al. I'm not going to name names. And he called him up. He said, there's this great movie called The Godfather. I need 60000 I'll make sure you get in the door. There's a great role for you. Well, Al, he was a gambler in that way. He, gave, he loaned the producer the money, read the script. He thought it was great. Really? And when it came time to casting, he called, he didn't get the calls. He called the producer, hey, what's up? You know, the, you know, you owe me. You know what I mean? And I think he gave him back the money and he got him in the, in, in the, in Bob Evans office and uh, uh, not to Bob Evans delight, but he did get that role. And of course we know that he was really super in that role. Oh, he was terrific. He was yeah. terrific. You know, I just heard this story. Um, the director of the film, whose name is escaping me at the moment, you know, the famous director. Coppola uh, of Godfather. Yes. Uh, Francis Coppola. Yeah, Francis Coppola. Yeah. He tells this story, you know, they, he was being interviewed and they were asking him, well, how did you get the role? How did you get into that position to be the director? He says, basically, everybody else passed on it. He says, mm. nobody else wanted that book. Nobody else wanted to make the movie. I was the young guy at the time, he said. I had no credentials. And they figured, okay, we'll give it to him. We'll let him get in there. And, you know, we wanted to keep it as cheap as possible. And, of course, he went way over budget. But, you know, it became just such a wonderful movie. Oh, tremendous. Tremendous. So tell me about your film career. You you were in American Gangster. You were in The Irishman. So, you know, what was it like working with Scorsese? Uh, well, you know, I had the opportunity to work with him in vinyl. And um, he's a wonderful director. He gets great performances from, I think, all of his actors. He just leaves you alone. He, he'll give you some direction. But then then he'll tell you, okay, now you, I want you to do it your way. Stay within the realms of what you're doing and, and do one on your and do do it your, your way and, and he gives you that freedom you don't really get always get that in tv television you have to i mean the writers on sopranos they were a stickler for the dialogue i mean even on more and order and stuff like that those tv shows you gotta you gotta say say the words like no way no ad living no not ad living but with marty he allows you to because he casts you based on there's a certain element of you know he does use amateurs if you might want, want to call them he used his mom his dad and uh, like john cassavetes did and they were very effective because they were able to listen and, and be themselves and sometimes you you believe them sometimes but most times you do believe them but so he gives you that freedom that actor's freedom to uh so it was wonderful to work with him and then to meet robert de niro whom i had some friends my mentor was richard bright who played al neary on the godfather we were very close friends and he helped me along the way and um so i had something to talk about because richard had worked with uh with with rob his richard's wife actually had worked with robert and, and richard worked with robert on sergio leone's once upon a time in america and they liked each other so i was able to become his friend by that you want to try to get underneath you know if you're going to be a friend with somebody and you have some you know, relationships you, in, in real life, you want to try to break the ice. And, and Robert De Niro was very nice to me. And, and we, we spoke a little bit about Richard and Britannia, who did um, the deer hunter with him. So I, be, you know, I, I was Johnny, who's friend to uh, Frank Irish. So I broke the ice. And the last take that I did that some of my ad libs are in there that Marty left in there. He said, do it now your way. And, and that was the take he, he, he used. It was really a, it's a, he's a, 
great director, you know. We are speaking with Robert Funaro, who was an actor of longstanding in such series as The Sopranos, which was one of the greatest series ever on television, of course. Tell me a little bit about the Ray Donovan uh, series and what it was like working there. Um, had a great uh, experience on, on Ray Donovan with uh, um, uh, all the actors. I didn't really work much with Lee Shriver, but uh, with uh, the other actors, Sidney Bernstein, who played the uh, detective, and I was, her, of course, her, 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 her boss. I was brought in to kind of make it hard for her. And of course, people who watched it found out that I was as, as crooked as the person that she was trying to bring in, <laughs> which wasn't too hard to play. But uh, it, was a very, it was a very nice experience. It was a really great set. I mean, you know, they, they were like a well-oiled machine, like Sopranos at that point. I mean, that was their last season, basically. Uh, and they were, they were very good. I wish I would have had a chance to work with Lee Schreiber a little bit more, but our scene was just very small where he uh, killed me. And uh, you don't really <laughs> see, much, don't see much of me in that scene uh, with him. So, but it was, it was a good experience and, and there were nice people there too. So do you prefer to play bad guys or good guys? Um, I mean, I like playing both, but I, I, I do prefer to play good guys. I was a good guy on The Sinner with Jessica Biel, that successful series, the first season uh, of The Sinner. I played her father-in-law, and um, it was a lot of fun working with her. She was really terrific. And, and Chris Mason, he's a terrific actor. So, I mean, I do like playing good guys. I play a lot, a lot more good guys when I have more control um, in plays and theater. I like doing theater. Of course, now it's kind of difficult to do. But um, good guys are great. I, I'm, I'm a good-hearted person. I'm really not that type of uh, cutthroat uh, person. But, of course, one has to make a living, Rob. Do you ever feel like you get typecast because of certain roles? Yes, I, I still have that feeling. Last couple of auditions, they're t- t- typically typecast auditions. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, I mean, as I said, you know, when you have more control, this is guys like, Sylvester Stallone, I mean, and and people who create their own things, I got to give them a lot of credit because I know if they continued along the path of the acting that they did, they probably would, you know, be typecast. But they had the courage to uh, to break out and to try to do something. I'm, you know, I currently want to have uh, strive to do that myself. But it is very frustrating when. And um, when you these roles, because of course you can do the best you can with them and be creative and artistic. But when you're with Marty, there is an opportunity to have that creativity. But then on these on these other TV shows, they just cast them. Oh, that's the guy. Okay, that's you know. There's no art. There's no. I mean, let me just say that even if you're in an episodic and you're a regular in an episodic, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're happy. Yeah, you're making money. But you know how transient money is. It doesn't really um, equate happiness, Rob, in terms of pleasing the inside of yourself and what you can truly do. So maybe in a way, I'm a, I'm a bit lucky in that way that I strive at least to do something a little bit more than just the typical wise guy. You know? Well, uh, I'm sure that that's, that's part of being an actor, right? You, yes. you, I'm sure you feel that you can play almost any role. 
And well, let's, I know let's, that- let's, 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 let's just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but if you look at James' trajectory, he knew that he was, and he, and he had a dialogue coach for Sopranos, and he knew that these were things that were going to be his biggest obstacle. Sometimes James would tell me that he got some scripts and they were great scripts. And, and he calls agent, this is a great script. Are you sure it's for me? Oh, we made a mistake. It was for Tom Hanks. I don't know which script it was, but, <laughs> uh, but it, you know what I'm saying? So he knew it, but he had the, the, the fulcrum, you know, the, the, the leverage to say, okay, I'm going to, uh, he went to see guards of carnage in, in Europe and said, I, I want to bring that to Broadway. I want to be in that on Broadway on a regular or on a regular Basically, he wouldn't be able to do that if he wasn't, you know, who James wasn't who he was. Right. People came to see him in that show and they said, man, this guy is great. He can really act. He doesn't have to be the wise guy. He could be the husband that's pissed off, jealous. So that what he was, he was not happy in a situation. And James proved that. Do you know what I mean? I remember sure. when he produced Hemingway just very quickly. He, he offered me a role. He said, I'm going to make you audition for the role of Hemingway's friend. I said, James, why are you not doing it? Ah, I'm a little bit reticent. I don't want to do it. And, and, and Clive Owen, uh, the actor, who was a good actor. He wound up getting the part. But man, I even if I wasn't in that, I wish James would have played Hemingway because he was just such that kind of a guy at daring. That was Tim. But, you know, people don't realize how he didn't really, when he got that Tony Soprano, he got the power, you might say, or the angle, the, the fulcrum. He didn't just always jump to things. And he produced that with the idea of, of being in it. And then he gave it away. That was, that was James. You know, I don't know. He was a wonderful, interesting man. Well, you know, the good part about being a mega star like he was is mm. that he's a mega star and people know him immediately. And he can probably do the kinds of things that you're talking about. But the downside sometimes is that you get pigeonholed and maybe that fear comes into it as well Mm -hmm. that gee i had a good run doing a certain thing why do i want to fool with that and uh i assume it goes both ways for people yeah i i agree there's a show right now uh i happen to be in western massachusetts as we're doing this and there's a shakespeare and company uh play that's going on it's all shakespeare and who's starring as king lear but christopher lloyd Okay, remember him from Taxi and from the Back to the Future movies? People don't realize he's a classically trained actor. Well, that's the thing. I mean, people think of him as kind of a buffoonish kind of guy, you know, and he's a great actor and he's wonderful in those roles. But I wonder to what extent people can really imagine him as King Lear. Absolutely. From Reverend Jim to King Lear. That's That's right. That's That's quite a play within itself. That's his autobiography from Reverend Jim to to King Lear. Yeah, I like that. Now, I'll suggest it to him if I see him. (laughs) Yeah, he's terrific. He really is. I wanted to ask you, what was uh, James Gandolfini like just offset, you know, as a person? One of the most generous men uh, loving men, sensitive men who, who really uh, fought for his privacy once everything happened. Um, he was a, just a wonderful man. As I said, sending the elevator down, helping people, concerned with how people were going to, even people, if you read some of the stories, Jamie Lynn Siegler, Robert Eiler, he would call them up and, and even myself call me up. How you doing? What's going on? Don't let this go to your head. <laughs> Don't get crazy. Uh, you know, James was very level-headed and he's very down to earth. I mean, I would go to, to his sister's house in Tom's River. We would take Michael, 
on the boardwalk and, you know, just uh, enjoy the, the simple things. And he liked to enjoy the simple things I in life. That, you I know. think one of the reasons the show worked so well is that there were at least two Tony Sopranos. One was the mobster, but the other guy was the, the husband and the father. And yeah. there were so many aspects of the show that were just kind of real life. Didn't make a difference what he did for a living. Yeah, he was the, you know, David Chase. <laughs> I mean, Tony Soprano, people don't realize it, it was an embodiment of David Chase, too, in, in a way. You know, David was a really great genius. And at the same time, you know, Tony Soprano never really could be totally happy, even when things were going well. You know, and that was basically just because you have money and, and, and power doesn't equate happiness. You know, sometimes it's better to be the cobbler, you know, who has less has more in a way. And I think that was a big message uh, that the series had. In terms of James, you know, if someone asked me, was he as crazy as that guy sometimes who would kind of be dangerous? He had that element in him. James had that element. If you if you were, weren't right, if, you, uh, if something would piss him off, let me tell you, you know, that 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 anger was some real stuff there. He did have that quality in him. If you saw something that was unjust, you know what I mean? Or yeah. something that you wronged in the right wrong way. You can see some videos, YouTubes of him, people invading his privacy. I mean, that's Tony Soprano right there, man. Because as an actor, you have to have that element inside you, regardless if you're not like that. The element is inside us all. But in some people, it's more... Uh, is there it could surface a lot sooner and a lot more realistically you know there are only certain limited series on television that have really gotten to the heart of this country seinfeld being one of them off the top of my head the sopranos certainly being another one so it's it's really it must have been a wonderful experience for you to just be affiliated with that program and you had such a significant role in the series as well so i congratulate you for that thank you robert it was a wonderful time you know when you're doing it you don't realize it until like how many years it's been uh for me at least 2006 how great it was how much you have there's so much i mean especially now with the covid and everything downtime and even to have a series like that to be working on a basically regular basis okay we work six months but you knew that you'd be working you know a number of weeks it was a really um a blessing and you know <laughs> you don't really realize it when you're doing it but i do now i tell you the truth i do now it was nothing like it the writing the whole all the elements the the characters, it's just was a terrific. I, sometimes I see these little blurbs and I say, wow, it's, it's still, I'm still amazed by some of the things that the writers did. Do you watch the, uh, the reruns? I sometimes do. I, I don't watch them all, but uh, I'd watch more of the like excerpts or something like that on my, on be on YouTube. And I, mean, I never checked out the scene. And, you know, I haven't seen every single, I still haven't seen every single show, but I mean. Well, it was a great show. Uh, what's next for you? Um, directing a play with Vincent Pastor and Maureen Van Zant from Sopranos called uh, Painting X's on the Moon, uh, written by Richard Viteri. We hope to get it up there in sometime in September on a real stage. Be, you know, they, we have this company called the Renegade Theater Company. It's affiliated with, well, there's a Renegade Nation, 
which Stevie Van Zant runs on, but it has no affiliation with the radio show, but we call it uh, Maureen and Vincent called the Renegade Theater Company. And uh, we're going to try to produce the show. It's a really um, uh, surreal kind of, of show about art and, 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 and as painting and being an artist and the struggle uh, of being an artist. And, and Vincent is going to be wonderful in it. So we're going to try to get that up, uh, Robert, and, you know, in the, in the new, in the non-Zoom, we're hoping for a non-Zoom experience with that. I tell you, it's hard to act on Zoom because you're talking into, you know, you're not there, you know, I so know. it's, it's the essence of what it is, but it's not. Yeah. One of these days, the world will come back. Yes. Yes. If we keep on going like we are, People getting vaccinated, I think you know, we have a great shot of, of 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 it happening. But if we let our guard down, it's just going to. But this virus is pretty dangerous. I know. As a musician, it's been awful for us because yes. we haven't been able to perform. The last live gig that I have done was back in February of 2020. Well, but I'm well, pleased to say that we're starting to come out of that. We've got a festival that we're playing at the end of June in Pennsylvania. And nice. I keep, keep my fingers crossed that it's going to keep coming back. Right on, right on. I mean, God bless the musicians and all the actors, the theater actors and Broadway, the whole thing. Yeah. And even us, you know, even the film actors, we've, we've suffered from this, but I think we can come back in a big way as long as we were smart. There you go. We've been speaking with Robert Funaro. It's been great having you as a guest on the podcast, really. And uh, I thank you so much for doing it. Remember to get your complimentary dream roadmap where I lay out my five steps to pursue and succeed at your dream just by going to followyourdreampodcast.com slash dream roadmap. We're going to play now again the song that you heard at the beginning which is called You Can't Tell the Truth, a um, song that I wrote and recorded on my album Summer of Love 2020, which, by the way, was recorded during the pandemic, which was an experience to try and do, I'll tell you that. And uh, hope you enjoy it, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. Thank you.